Hello, and welcome to week nine of our origin series here on the First Perez OC podcast. My name is Gabe Perez. I'm the youth pastor here at First Presbyterian in Oregon City, uh, First Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Oregon City, I should say. And we are looking at the life and ministry of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And today, in week nine of our series, we are starting off in chapter six. So hopefully you guys can crack open your Bibles and join along with us in worship to start and eventually follow along in your own Bibles with us. Uh, I will say, as I have gone back and listened to my previous lessons, I am learning a lot and recognizing a lot of areas I could work on in my teaching and my speech patterns and a lot of things. So I appreciate any grace the listeners can give to me, whether you're an old student or just somebody tuning in because you like to listen to what's going on. I appreciate any grace you guys can have with me as I am continuing to try and be a better teacher and a better facilitator of the Lord's Word. So that being said, let's hop into our Origin Week 9 service. Grab my guitar first, please. Father God, um, we're just grateful for you. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful just to um, be gathered together as family. And Lord, I just pray that um, as we enter into this time of worship, that we would just empty our hearts and our minds of things that are distracting us and pulling us away. And Lord, that we would just be able to focus on what you have for us tonight. Um, I pray that we wouldn't um, distract others or... um, put anything before you, Lord, that we would just be receptive to what you have for us tonight. Um, so just be pleased with our worship, and uh, we just love you. In your mind, we pray, Jesus. Amen.
So obviously we are in our origin series talking about the life and ministry of Jesus and we've been walking through the gospel of Mark, right? Um, and last week we actually wrapped up chapter 5. Now, this week we are rolling into Mark 6. So if you have your Bibles or if you have Bibles on your phone or whatever, or if you're taking notes, we are starting off Mark chapter 6 verse 1 is where we're starting. But if you do not have a Bible um, in your hand or on your phone, just follow along on the screens. So we're going to jump into chapter 6. Jesus left there. So previously, if you guys remember, um, so Jesus has healed this girl, right? And he says, hey, 
like let this like give her some food, take care of her, tell nobody about what I just did, right? So this is right after that. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom he has that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. All right. So this is the beginning of our lesson here. So real quick, um, who can just tell me on the top of their head, where is Jesus' hometown? Jerusalem. No, not Jerusalem. No, not Bethlehem. Nazareth. There you go. So, so yes. Okay, so obviously the Christmas story, we all talk about, hey, like Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, right? Yeah. But that is only because he was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. So his hometown is actually Nazareth. His, the place where he was born was Bethlehem. So that's why there's a prophecy that the Savior will come out of Bethlehem, but he will be a Nazarene. So there's like, he, like that's how both prophecies are also true. He was born, she was born in Bethlehem, but was raised in Nazareth. Just like I was born in Illinois, but I was raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So my hometown's Albuquerque, but where I was born was across the country. So there you go. But that being said, all right. So Jesus goes back to his hometown, um, where everybody knew where he was before, right? They saw him grow up. They saw him be in the town. And obviously, as he always does, he's teaching, and people are amazed by the wisdom and the teaching that he has. This is not a new thing. We've seen this before. But it's funny because the people recognize, as they always do, that there's something that he is teaching that is beyond just an earthly teacher that they've heard before. It's not it's the same as everything else. But they doubted him. They doubted the wisdom that he was sharing. They doubted the miracles he was doing. Why? They reason being is because they knew who he was so if you kind of know like someone's background and then they go on to do amazing things they become a lot less amazing because you're like dude i knew you when you were nobody you know i knew you i knew you before you were you right it's like the people that knew like famous people or famous athletes before they blew up and like became these famous people like you have a different perspective on that person right they had a different perspective on him and they doubted him and they tried to downplay his wisdom and authority because they saw him before and his humble beginnings in this town of Nazareth. Now, it's also interesting to ask, what was he teaching that was so amazing to the people? And what was he saying that was so audacious and so offensive to the people there that they end up questioning the validity of his words? What was Jesus telling the people that they're like, dude, I don't believe you. Ah, that, that's like, it's kind of sketch. What's, what's going on? Well, the reason they're skeptical is because Jesus taught with divine authority, all right? Jesus taught with divine authority. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past before, but it, he had a, it, there wasn't just a regular teacher vibe that he gave, and it wasn't just something that it was always just a, a normal thing that you walked into the synagogue. There was something 
like awestruck whenever people were listening to what he was teaching and what he was sharing with them. And it can be implied from both previous passages and the people's reaction here that Jesus is probably pointing out divine authority and God's future kingdom coming, or the arrival of God's kingdom here on earth. The people picked up on the fact that Jesus was both claiming and proclaiming his divinity all through his teaching to others. So in the way that he was teaching and sharing things to others, he was speaking as if somebody, like I talked about in the past, who, someone who talked as if they had authority. He talked with authority. It wasn't like, hey, I think I'm guessing on this. He said, no, I know. I, this, is, this is the facts of how things are. And there's a difference in who he was and how he taught. But they saw him from his childhood and were like, dude, you're not that guy. Like, come on, you're not that guy, Jesus. Like, I knew you when you were a toddler running around, and I saw you, you know, carving tables as a carpenter in your 20s. Like, you're not that special, dude. You're not divine. You're not this miraculous person. I saw you grow up. There's nothing divine about you. You're just a human, just like I am. And they were offended that he would speak and carry himself in such a way that he proclaimed and owned his divine nature. So why do I talk about this? Why do I even bring all this up? Why are we settling down this one fact in the beginning? Well, it's important to note that the people in Jesus' time understood and pushed back on the fact that Jesus was proclaiming to be God and to proclaiming to have a divine nature about him. That's the whole reason people murdered Jesus in the first place. They said, you are blaspheming by proclaiming to be God. You are not God. And so that's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees plotted to kill Jesus. They murdered him because he was proclaiming to be God. And it was a very clear thing that they all understood. And it's something that the people here in his hometown of Nazareth were offended by. They were like, dude, who the heck are you to like proclaim this divinity? You, I saw you grow up. But now, now you guys might say, that's all fairly straightforward, Gabe. We already know that. Why are you talking about this? But... The thing is, there are people that believe that Jesus is not God, or was never God, because Jesus never said verbatim, I am God. There's no written thing in the Bible where Jesus says, I, Jesus, am God in the flesh. He never says that verbatim, but he says it in a lot of other ways that allows people to really clearly understand what he's saying. And just because Jesus never says that verbatim, doesn't mean it's not true. Just like if I don't say, hey, I am Gabe and I am Mexican. Like, it doesn't mean I'm not Mexican, but that's also something I just don't proclaim to you guys, but other people can figure that out from other clues about me and how I interact and my upbringing, right? There's other things that you might pick up and clue in on that are true about me, but just because I don't say them doesn't mean they're not true. And it's the same thing with Jesus. The way he carried himself, the way he spoke, and the way he taught, and the miracles that he was doing were all clear evidence. And everybody around him understood that he showed and proclaimed that he was God in the flesh. Now, the the thing is, the groups that really don't believe that Jesus was God or that he um, was fully God and fully man, There's a few groups that I want to point out to you guys that don't actually believe that he is God or he was God, okay? So for one, Mormons do not believe that. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that. Christian scientists 
do not believe that. And other uh, churches that are Unitarian, if you ever see a Unitarian church, they have a belief and a theology that says that Jesus was not God, that, he, that they say he wasn't God. And they held a various different beliefs about who Jesus was. Um, some of them believe that Jesus was the greatest angel in heaven and that we have misinterpreted that he was just a, a really cool angel that hung out here on earth. Um, others said that Jesus was merely God's servant who served God really well and became holy. Um, and other people said that he wasn't even God's servant. He was just a guy who lived a really good life. And all of a sudden, he became God on earth. So there's this, there's different understandings and there, there are people that try and think about Jesus in a different way than what Jesus himself says and also what the people around him said. Because if you look at the Bible and the story of Jesus from the Roman records, you can look at people outside of the Bible, the history of that time, and the Bible itself, and it all clearly says that Jesus was killed for proclaiming to be God and that the Jews wanted this rebellious guy, Jesus of Nazareth, dead for proclaiming to be God. He broke their laws and he was worthy of death in their eyes. And so not only was Jesus clear with what, what he was saying, the people around him clearly understood what he was also saying. And that's exactly why Jesus was killed and murdered, because everyone understood that he was proclaiming his divine nature. He didn't say he wasn't God, and he spoke as someone who had that divine authority. So, um, you know, the thing is, it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, if, if you think that, you know, we, I mean, people can also, I mean, like, uh, the reason I share this, I guess, is because there are going to be people that you meet at some point in your life that you might hear and they might say, oh, well, Jesus wasn't really God. Or they might say they're a Christian and say, I believe in Jesus. But then they also might say, well, he was just a good person. Or he was a good prophet. Or he was um, a special guy. Or he was a very moral person. But if, if people can't say, if you hear someone who's a Christian and they don't say or can't, if you ask them a question like, hey, well, do you believe Jesus was God? And they say, well, I'm not sure about that. Then they might not be a Christian, for one. But they also might just be a Christian who's very confused. But I want you guys to understand both from what Jesus said and what's known about him is that he himself understood and proclaimed his divine nature and he had divine authority and people around him viewed him in that same light. They didn't understand why he would say that. Like, like I said, nobody really understood who Jesus was until after he died and was raised again. And even his own disciples were like, dude, who the heck are you? Because they truly could not comprehend God here on earth and his power that he showed to the people. But it is true that he did proclaim that in different ways and people understood that. Now, so the people doubted him, like people in his own town doubted him. Um, and thus it says that Jesus actually could not do any miracles there. He says he could not do any miracles except for heal a few people there. And interestingly, interestingly that actually points us to the reality that faith is essential in our walk with God. Faith is essential in our walk with God. So we talked a little bit about this, about this last week, but the differentiating factor between the bleeding woman and the parents of the dying girl, they had faith that the other people around them didn't. And thus, in the expression of their faith, 
God used their faith to do something. And in the same way, we see the exact opposite, that these people didn't have a faith in Jesus. They doubted him. They said, there's no way you are who you say you are. You don't have any power. I don't believe you. And it says that Jesus could not do anything but heal a few people because of their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, the Bible says that it, all it takes is even the smallest amount of faith in God, that he will do amazing things with that. And it also is interesting that the Bible doesn't promise that just because we have faith that we're going to get lots of miracles, or that God is for sure going to show up. The Bible doesn't say that. But it does say that if you don't have any faith in God, you're not going to see him show up. Because God honors and respects our choices and our hearts towards him. If your heart towards him is, ah, I don't think he's going to do anything, he says, okay, cool. If that's what you, you want to believe, then I'll let you live that way. And he leaves us as we are. Now, if we say, God, I know you can do something, and I know you will do something, and he says, okay, I'll leave you as you are, because you believe, so I'm going to work with that. If someone doesn't believe, they're not having faith in him, there's not an interaction that happens because God gives us the desires of our hearts. And if our heart is doubting God, we're not trusting in him, we're not going to see him work, not necessarily as much. Now, it's also true that God doesn't stop working in our lives just because we don't have faith. But if we don't have faith and, ex and expect God to show up, then we're going to be left waiting most of the time. Um, so there's an old show. Has anybody heard of the show called Seinfeld? Anybody? Yes, most of you guys, a lot of you guys. So I, I love the show Seinfeld, right? I grew up watching it. An amazing show. Um, it's not necessarily the most um, sanctifying show, so it's not necessarily the most appropriate. But I grew up watching it a lot, and there's a character named George Costanza on there. Um, and so there's a point in the series where George actually is starting to have some success. He's a very nervous, neurotic guy. He's kind of crazy. He, like, is a liar. He's just not a really good guy, right? But at this point in his life, he's finally having success. He's about to get a TV show with NBC. It's like the biggest thing that's ever happened to him in his whole life. And he goes to his therapist and says, I can't believe this is happening. God's not going to let me ever be successful. And his therapist says to him, George, you don't believe in God. How can that be true? And then he tells his therapist, I do for the bad things. Now, you guys might think that's odd, and it's supposed to be a joke. Right? Because, obviously, you know, George isn't consistent in his beliefs. But very often for a lot of us, we fail to recognize God in the good things and fail to see how God has worked for us. But when things go badly, we're very quick to blame God and say, why didn't God do that? Why didn't God show up here? Why hasn't God done something? Why isn't God listening? We always point to the negative and we blame God a lot of times when usually we don't have a faith in God at all. And then when he doesn't show up, then we're like, oh, what the heck? Why didn't you show up? And it's like, well, why didn't you have faith? Why didn't you actually trust me in the first place? And we mistake our lack of faith for God not listening, when really it starts with us and our hearts towards him. And then was when, that's whenever we start seeing God show up. Because just like the people doubted Jesus, and they were like, dude, you're not divine. And guess what? He didn't heal or do very many things in that town because they didn't believe. They doubted him. Very few miracles happened. 
same with us in our life. If we doubt the Lord, we're going to see less and less of Him showing up in our lives. The thing is, just like them doubting, they were left hanging. Jesus taught with divine authority, but because faith is essential to our walk with God, they received no miracles because they didn't believe. So, Jesus and the boys leave from the, all the doubting haters, and really sent, after that, he ends up sending all the homies out and disciples to spread the word. So we're jumping into Mark 6. If you can't see that, it's Mark 6, 7 through 13, all right? Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. That's demons. We've talked about this before. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. All right. So Jesus sends out these dudes, all right, two by two. Go teach, share, spread the word, spread the gospel. And he also gave them the authority over demons and the authority to heal. Because prior to that, they couldn't do these things. But Jesus said, I have the authority and I'm granting that to you as well to be able to do this. Now, um, it's interesting because in all of this, we might kind of brush over it very briefly. But Jesus also says, don't bring anything. He says, bring a staff. That, that's it. No, no food. So he says, no bread, no extra sandals, no extra clothes. He's like, don't even bring an extra shirt. And he says, don't bring any money. So they can't buy anything. They couldn't eat anything. They couldn't give anything away. All they had was the staff, like usually like a walking stick, essentially what they had, and the person next to him. But why is that? Why would he tell them not to bring anything and not to have anything except the person next to him? Well, I believe in one way that Jesus is showing how, as Christians, we need each other. As Christians, we need each other. Because oftentimes we like to think that, you know, our faith is mine, right? It's my faith, my relationship with God. And my faith is mine. And to be honest with you guys, it should be yours. It shouldn't be somebody else's faith. I can't have a faith for you. I can't believe in God for you. Just like you can't believe in God for me. It is an individual choice. That is between you and the Lord. Your parents can't do that for you, grandparents, and you can't do that for your siblings or anybody else. But the thing is, that doesn't mean that other people can't help you in your faith, right? Just because I can't believe for you doesn't mean I can't help you believe more, right? I can't doesn't mean I can't help you in your faith. I can help you and you guys can help each other in your guys's faith and that's a big part of why we need each other as christians while our faith is our own the more we support each other in our faith the better our faith actually grows jesus sent these guys out with no money no food no clothes just the person next to him and the thing is they had nothing to rely on they had nothing but each other and the holy spirit to guide them as they went. 
They didn't have any food to comfort them. They didn't have any money that was like, oh, let's just get out of here and like spend our money and sit by the beach. No, there's nothing. All they had was the call that God put in their life and the person next to them. And it grows those people not only to be bold with each other, because whenever one person goes with you and it helps you to do something, it, you feel a little bit more encouraged, right? Like, how many of you guys would want to build a bridge by yourself? Probably not. I don't know. But if you knew that someone else was like, hey, I'm going to do this entire thing with you. I'm going to be walking with you throughout this entire process. It might still suck, <laughs> but it's but it's also going to be better than it was doing doing it by yourself, right? So having other believers and having somebody support you in the same journey of faith is huge, right? Because God designed us to have relationships with each other and with other people, not necessarily romantic relationships, but relationships with others that believe what you believe. God designed us for relationships with other people that we can help each other because people support each other as we grow in our faith. So while faith is an individual choice, if we try and go and live out our faith alone, if we go out by ourselves alone into the world all the time, we will become isolated. We'll become thinned out. We're going to be worn out. And we're going to become vulnerable not only to sin in our own life, but just to the world around us. We're going to have a lack of faith. And that's why the church is so important. That's why youth group and gathering together as a body believers is so important because it refreshes us in our faith. So that leads us to the last bit of today's lesson, which is about John the Baptist's death. All right. So before we get into all that, no, before we just wait. Um, so I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background. So there's, there's a long passage that's after this. We're not going to read through all of it, all right? Because it is a long thing. It's a little bit complicated. I'm just going to kind of summarize it for you, all right? So background is John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, all right? Everybody say cousin. cousin. There you go. And he was a prophet that proclaimed the coming Messiah, right? So he was a cousin of Jesus. And he was a little bit older. And he was like, hey, the Messiah is coming. Be ready. And guess what? Then Jesus was like, hey, here I am. And that's when he baptized him and Jesus started his ministry to the world. You guys remember that? Okay. So that's who John, he was the guy at the very beginning of Mark who baptized Jesus. So that's who John the Baptist is, right? So in a lot of the Gospels, you see him, he's there, and then he's just gone into the ether. Like we don't really think about him, we're going to talk about him because his role was just to start off to pave the way for the Messiah. And then it's all about Jesus. But John the Baptist was a, a prophet that was well-known in the area, right? So, um, long story short, John the Baptist um, called out the local King Herod, right? So, um, he actually ended up tricking Herod into, well, his wife, Herod's wife, ended up tricking Herod into killing John the Baptist, right? It was a whole long story, but essentially, Herod ended up killing John the Baptist because his wife wanted him dead. It's a long story of how that actually happened, but they cut off his head, and it was a really big deal because John was known as a holy man. He was known as a prophet of God, and Herod didn't want to kill him, but because he either would have been a liar if he didn't, or he would have had to fulfill his promise to his wife, which is basically this whole long thing. But that being said, um, so he ends, but he ends up killing John the Baptist, all right? So why does this matter? Okay, so remember that people don't really understand who Jesus is, right? 
They don't have a full understanding of who he is right now. They, they've heard about Jesus, but they're like, who the heck is he? Like, and when people describe him, they describe him in a very specific way, all right? But whenever the miracles of the, of the um, disciples, they were going out and doing miracles, it caught the attention of Herod, all right? And that's where we're going to jump in here in Mark 16, or Mark 4, verse 4, 6, 14, sorry. So King Herod heard about this, the disciples doing stuff. For Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. All right? So Herod's freaked out. Um, and again, context about this is like the people are describing. They've heard about Jesus and they hear about him and his disciples doing something. But they're not sure how he's doing these things. They don't understand that he's God yet. But they know that John the Baptist was a powerful prophet in his time. And after killing him, they associate Jesus' power with John the Baptist or a prophet from long ago. Now, when you look at the description they give Herod, this is also matches a description given about who the disciples say the people Jesus, uh, the disciples tell Jesus what the people say about Jesus. All right, so he okay. asked them, what do the people say about me? And this is in Matthew 16, 13 through 14. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? That's Jesus. They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So again, the people didn't understand who he was. Herod heard about these miracles that were happening, and they didn't really know how or why Jesus and his disciples were able to do what he was doing. But there was a recognition of something beyond them that was miraculous. But they knew something special was going on. And it's a reminder that when God moves, he makes waves. When God moves, he makes waves. All right? So faith is essential to our relationship with God. And relationships with other believers is essential to growing our faith and maintaining our faith in God. And when our faith is solid and God starts moving, other people are going to notice because God starts making waves in, uh, when he moves. He makes waves in our lives and he makes waves in the lives of others. Now, you may not always see it. You may not see how God is moving. You may not recognize how much he is doing in your life. But God is at work in different ways and others will actually see how God is at work in your life as well. So let's not lose faith in what God can do, but let's get excited about what God will do. Let's not doubt God and be like, oh, I don't know if he can do that. But let's say, you know, I know God can do that. I don't know. If and when he does move, it's going to be good. And let's not neglect coming to church or coming to youth group, but let's make an effort to gather together as God's family so we can help build each other up in our faith as family. And maybe, even if we don't see it, God will work and move in our lives in big and small ways. 
could be a small wave that affects somebody else's life. could be a big wave that you just see like, oh my gosh, God's moving in powerful ways. But we know when we seek God and when we build each other up in our faith that God moves and he makes waves both in my life or in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Let's pray. Father God, we just, um, Lord, we thank you that um, when you move, it's noticeable. Maybe not at the beginning of the first splash or whenever you're making waves, but the ripple effects of how you work and the things that you do are seen clearly by others. Oftentimes we don't get to see the fruit of the ministry that you're doing even in our own lives, but God, we're thankful that you do amazing things whenever we come to you in faith. Lord, when we trust you to do a work, when you trust you to just do the impossible in our lives, you show up. Maybe not as we thought you would or we thought you should. <laughs> but God, you work together all things for the good whenever we love you and we put our faith in you. So Lord, if any of us are struggling to trust you, if any of us are struggling to rely on you, if any of us are struggling in hard times to believe that you're doing something for our good, for our benefit, Lord, just help us to break down our unbelief. Help us to surrender in humility to what you have for us, trusting that you are going to do good things and make waves in our lives in some way, somehow. We thank you that you never leave us as we are. I mean, you never stop seeking after us. Even if we don't have faith in you now or trust you that much right now, Lord, we know that you're going to keep seeking after us until we do. Thank you for your faithfulness. And I pray we can grow in faithfulness to you as well. In your mind, we pray, Jesus. Amen. And there you have it, guys. That is week nine of our Origin series. Now, I realize it's been some time since I posted our last podcast, and I realize that the publishing date of this is much longer after the recording date of the lessons, but I'm working on trying to get everything settled in. Uh, I just got a new mic, so I can start editing and publishing more podcasts in previous lessons, so hopefully you guys can get caught up or just refresh your course. And even if you weren't there or you didn't even go to the youth group, if someone has listened to this and you can get something out of it and be encouraged in your faith or be encouraged by just the message of the gospel of Jesus, I hope anybody and everybody can be encouraged by that. So hope you all can get something out of it and have a lovely, lovely day.